This episode of the Crown Reps podcast is brought to you by RefereeStore.com. To save 15% on all United Attire products, enter Crown15 at checkout. We hope you enjoy this episode and do us one last favor before you listen. Have a great rest of your day. Hi, this is Final Four official Bo Borowski. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs podcast. Serve the game. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs podcast. The audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game. We deal with a ton of subjectivity, and since that is the case, it is paramount that we are optimal communicators. We've got to have above average judgment. We must be exceptional communicators. You've got to be empathetic to the coaches, to the players, and then that trickles down to your partner. I'm from Canton, Ohio. Oh, nice. All right, the Hall of Fame action. You rep like in Final Fours and shit. <laughs> yep, he's ref final fours and shit, Cam. <laughs> Three of them. <laughs> Don't mute. It's okay. That's, no, yeah. I was just telling my boys because I'm over at their house. And I was telling, oh, yeah, I'm hopping on Zoom call, da da da. And of course, it, it had, I thought I was auto muted when I came in. Sure enough, I was not auto muted. That's a good <laughs> comment. Cam, if it makes you feel any better, I just got that tattoo right here. I don't know if you can see it. It says, I ref Final Fours and shit. <laughs> That's a meme. We got to make a meme out of that one. Yeah. Thank I you, like Cam. It. Nice work. Can uh, contribute to the concept. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You're, you're hot lately. I just saw your clip you just sent me. Great clip, by the way. I'm going to post that. I appreciate it. So I want to welcome you back to the Crown Refs podcast, the audio experience for basketball officials. I am here with Bo Baroski, who is a retired Division One official. He worked 23 years at the D1 level. Uh, he worked uh, three Final Fours, including a championship game. And now he has a amazing new platform for officials called RefQuest. So welcome back to the podcast, Bo. How you doing? I'm doing good, Paul. Pretty good intro, just how I wrote it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, so it's been four years since, you know, we last collabed. Um, you know, a lot has changed since since then. I've watched you evolve your platform. We've, you know, gone through some great progress. We have a, a lot of new listeners and, you know, members of the community now than last time. So just for everybody that's that's listening on the podcast, just give us a couple minute um bio on yourself as an official and then what you're up to now with uh RefQuest. yeah like many of the people on this call you know i i uh always had the officiating dna in my blood it was passed down from my dad um i don't recall if it was an effort to be like dad but um as it turned out um following a very similar path so he was a military guy and um officiated a ton in the uh in the air force over in germany back in the day and sure enough when i was eight and nine years old you know i was umpiring five and six year old baseball uh when i was 12 and 13 years old i was doing the nine and ten year old soccer leagues um we didn't have a uh, ton of expendable money and i saw an opportunity to make five bucks a game and all you can eat at the concession stand and didn't realize I could make a career out of it. And um, things just evolved. I stuck with it. I was passionate about it. Um, it's it's responsible for, um, you know, my friend group, my social circles. Um, I'm not as diverse as I need to be. <laughs> you know, most of my uh, closest friends are in the officiating world. Uh, all of my coworkers are in the officiating world. And then there's my wife and kids. So um, I made officiating my life and it, it, it just turned out um, with some people that were decision makers thought I had some ability, but certainly luck played into it. And um, as you alluded to, Paul, it, it has evolved into an officiating services platform that is now my passion. It, it's taken the place of that competition approach. Um, of, you know, of, of being on the court. And, 
haven't missed the court for one minute and um, just love being a part of something new and starting the next chapter of my life. And here we are today. You said your dad was an official. Uh, what was his career like? Did he work in, in college or just a long time high school official? But I wouldn't even go that far. It was something for him to do um, while he was on the military base. He ran the leagues, which in my history, uh, I've, I've run a significant amount of, of uh, youth and adult leagues at sports facilities. Um, he was an umpire. He was a basketball referee, just like me. He did not have uh, the freedom, uh, the benefit of time uh, to go down the roads related to evolving into a high school or collegiate official. So it was something he did uh, in Germany while stationed uh, over there in the uh, 60s. And, um, you know, again, that trait was passed down. And I didn't even know it at the time. Even when I was getting involved, I didn't say, hey, my dad did it. I'm going to do it. It was, uh, again, just one of those things I think was in the deep tissue. And and uh, I just I fell in love with it. Very similar uh, to what he did. Yeah, there's a lot of officials in, in Crown Refs and, and beyond that ha- have that pedigree, whether it's an uncle or a dad or a mother. Yep. And uh, they, they definitely have an advantage and just the added feel for the game and just understanding of the culture of officiating and uh, definitely to their advantage. So yeah, it uh, shortens it, the curve for sure. It's like yeah. having the answers to the test. You know, it just um, it, it may get you in the door, but it won't keep you there. That's what we're trying to give answers to the test. We're trying to be the cheat codes. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> I want to stay here just for some podcast clips, um, go back to some of your final fours and we'll go maybe year by year. Maybe you could talk about that game for like a minute. Uh, 2019, you worked the, the, the final four game. Who was that with? What do you remember from that, that year? Yeah. Uh, very vivid memories. Uh, we all know in the officiating circles that if you get the call, uh, if you're going to, even be eligible to get the call you will have had to work either the sweet 16 or the elite eight and uh, we know that that phone call for the final four comes on monday uh historically between 1 and 2 p.m so needless to say that monday morning was the longest day of my life um because i think the way the math works out is you've got 36 officials that worked on that regional semi and regional final weekend. And you're talking about nine on court officials. So if you play the odds, you know, you're not getting the call. And I do remember very specifically that at 1:57 PM, uh, my phone rang and it, the caller ID was from the person I wanted it to be. And, you know, he started out by saying, congratulations. And uh, his next statement was you're, going to be extremely emotional over the course of the next few minutes. So I'm going to get some administrative items out of the way. And sure enough, right. I was, you know, that's, that's the pinnacle for me uh, was to be able to be involved in the final four. So I got that call. My wife and I went up to Minneapolis, found out at the um, 11 AM meeting that I was working the Michigan state, Texas tech game, which was game two on Saturday night. And, um, boy, I could, I could go on and on about this game alone, but I was able, uh, very specifically to take it all in. I kind of snuck out a little bit during that first game into the tunnel, just to look out, see the crowd. I knew I couldn't do a whole lot of sightseeing when my game started. So I was able to, uh, absorb that and and enjoy the uh enjoy the environment i will say and i i'm sure paul you more than anybody and all the people you've talked to right your roster of of people you've interviewed once that ball goes up uh it is just another game it's it's it 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 sounds um you know a little passe to say that but it's true it's can you handle everything prior those three and a half minute media timeouts the extended half times what do you do with your body? What do you do with your eyes? What are you doing, you know, with your hands? And because um, when that clock's rolling, Paul, you you know what to do. It's instinctive at that point. But what an amazing experience and a great game to be a part of.
we had the pandemic year in 2020. So you went back in uh, in 2021 and 2022, back to back years. What do you remember from that 2021 season? Oh, the bubble, <laughs> the bubble. You know, living right here in Indianapolis, there's. I'm not sure if it's an unwritten rule or a written rule, but historically, you don't work whether it's the Final Four or the first round. You don't work in your home state. There's just too many distractions. Um, you know, I, I remember having a thought that I never liked that rule, and I'd love to just go seven miles down the road. Um, but I understand the rule, and I always respected it. Well, when the bubble hit, the the fact that it was in Indiana was almost uh, a non-starter because uh, there were no fans, there were no distractions, there was there was nothing but basketball. And, um, you know, it kind of a dream come true. So despite all the instability that occurred during the bubble, I, I loved every second of it. I'm not saying that I would want to duplicate it. I had people texting me and calling me saying, I feel so bad for you. You know, you're you can't see your wife and your kids, uh, your family, you know, your parents. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm in a pretty nice Marriott property here for about a month. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, the room service isn't bad. They, the, the NCA treated us extremely well. I'm not telling you we ate filet mignon every night, but, um, you know, we were staying at a good hotel with doors that opened to the inside, right? I didn't have to worry about, um, you know, dirty sheets and, um, oh, by the way, uh, the the virus that was going around. So the people that were in that bubble, it was a pretty tight knit group. We tested every morning, um, and then we, over the course of that twenty eight days, I keep in mind I was in, I was already in that hotel because of the Big Ten tournament prior, uh, that had a little kind of mini bubble of their own. You know, we they would let us out. I think it was three times we got to go outside, <laughs> literally outdoors. Uh, they took us over to Victory Field to go, you know, for a walk around for two hours. We played frisbee, frisbee and pickleball and wiffle ball and just acted like kids. But uh, thank God that 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 championship did not get canceled. Um, it would have been devastating for many uh, conferences and institutions that rely on that distribution from the NCA. Um, fortunately, the NCA had some coverage in 20, 2020 when it was canceled. And um, I've, I've said it once, I'll say it again. I, I, the, the, the plan that, that they put in place in a four to six month period called the bubble was maybe the greatest feat ever in the history of the NCA from my perspective. And I was just happy to be a part of it. And then you had your last game as an official was the championship game of 2022 between Texas, excuse me, Kansas and uh, North Carolina. You know game? what? I, that was on Monday. I did the Saturday game, Duke oh, Carolina mistake. in 22. Yeah. Duke Carolina with Roger Ayers. That's right. Our... That's right. Roger allowed me to be there. <laughs> Anything you want to say about Roger's hair while we have it, have the time? Yeah, he's got a lot more of it than me. This is an audio podcast, right? This isn't a vid visual. I might take some some vi visual clips of that. Right now would be a, a good clip to take. I'm going to need to approve those first calls <laughs> in my contract. Got you. <laughs> I'll only put our best uh, foot forward. So, um, Talk to us about – okay, so you, yeah, so you worked uh, – so – what about the transition now, stepping off the court now into to RefQuest? What do you want to uh, say about RefQuest? What is new for next year? Some new features we should um, be looking for? Talk to us about uh, RefQuest. Yeah, the transition itself, you know, this started out as, as an idea. In uh, quite honestly, we started having some discussions just, you know, whether it was over a cocktail or on a car ride in 26, 2017. And we had several wouldn't it be nice if moments and it, it, it just evolved. And uh, myself in particular, 
I just had this this moment of let me give this a shot, uh, almost a why not me approach. Um, I keep saying somebody needs to do this, somebody needs to do this. Well, you know, it did take me a while to realize that that person, you know, could be me. And it started out as a garage project. Um, you know, that's how Facebook started. I don't know that we're going to sell for trillions of dollars one day. But, um, you know, I do know that things start with an idea and we felt we had a good one. And we started as a video collaboration platform, right? We, we wanted to replace Facebook groups and reply alls and the annoyance of, um, I can't upload my video. Your file's too big. I can't open the video. All the things that go along with well-intentioned people trying to collaborate and educate themselves. And we just didn't feel that there was um, a solution available. And certainly there wasn't one available that we felt uh, that was uh, checked the professionalized focus of officiating in our space, very customized. And so that's what we sought out to do. And shortly after doing that, we worked on the back end um, uh, on on assigning software. Uh, we hadn't really dab dabbled much into the payment uh, portion, but we knew if things uh, kept materializing that we would we we would you know get into that space. So fast forward, you know, we talked about the pandemic. For all intents and purposes, the world ends, you know, March 16th-ish. I might be off by a couple of days, right? Everybody's got to stay at home and, you know, there's a ton of instability and in what, um, what exactly is going on with this virus. And we just knew it was, it was very serious and it was going to have long lasting implications. Well, just a couple months after the, the NCA opens up an RFP for an officiating services platform. And, and we just, you know, felt like it was an opportunity that if, if the NCA was going to go uh, through the trouble of putting together a, a committee for officiating services uh, in the middle of a global pandemic, we felt like we may have an opportunity. So we were very fortunate to uh, have been awarded um, the, the contract to to do what we call REAP, Register, Educate, Assign, and Pay Officials. And um, we went from three employees, now we're up to 19 as I talk to you. And, um, you know, we're trying to be smart about our growth. Uh, we're trying to be, uh, you know, scale in the uh, very thoughtfully. And, um, the one thing we don't want to do is be motivated by money. We just can't let, you know, that be our compass because uh, we don't want to lose sight of, of um, why we started. And we started because we thought RefQuest, quite simply, was the answer to there's got to be a better way. And uh, we're enjoying the ride for sure. So now you got the contract with the NCAA for uh, basketball. You have other sports as well? <laughs> Yeah, it's actually, it's for all sports. So we have 19 sports on our platform, uh, 18 of which is uh, the NCAA sponsors. So we, uh, if you go back to that REAP, that Register, Educate, Assign, and Pay, we do that uh, for 15 sports. If you look at it, it's five in the fall, five in the winter, five in the spring. And then there's an additional four that we we simply pay through the platform that uh, they don't have a traditional registration education process, but they are using RQ plus uh, for the assigning and for the paying. And our hope is that the, that those sports um, that don't have a traditional hub, uh, a place to go for collaboration, um, clarification, rules updates, all the type of things that we need to be successful is that they will evolve to the point where, uh, it is kind of a collaboration hotspot for them. Um, so, yeah, 19 sports. And the 20th is we've got a cheer and dance with the NAI in addition to that. So we've got we've got um, the NAI agreement that quite uh, quickly followed the NCA agreement. Um, and, and it just makes a lot of sense for us to service both because, uh, by and large, with the exception of football, it's virtually all shared officials.
that's awesome. I'm really happy for your growth. And for a lot of the high school officials that are listening right now, you may not have heard of RefQuest, but that's going to be the future platform that you accept your games on, that you get paid from, and various other services that they provide. So thank you for sharing that with us, Bo. Um, want to switch back to officiating. I know you, you mentioned some of the, the things you learned most about officiating were communication empathy and the pyramid approach. Could you just go into detail about what you mean by that? You know, basketball in particular is, is just dripping with subjectivity. Um, I, I spoke to a group of softball umpires in Indianapolis um, earlier in the year. And, and I told them I could never be a softball umpire. I could never be a baseball umpire because the majority of the things that they do are so black and white. They're so cut and dry. You're either right or wrong on virtually every play. Fair foul, out safe, ball strike. There's not much gray area there. Um, now, they do have some subjectivity in their game, right, when you start talking about interference and obstruction and, and, and with softball with some of the illegal pitches. But by and large, with basketball, the only black and white that we have um, you know, are your out of balance plays, and then in the intercollegiate and professional game with with the restricted arc, we deal with a ton of subjectivity. And and since that is the case, it is paramount that we are optimal communicators. We've got to have above average judgment. We must be exceptional communicators. And in my mind. You've got to be empathetic to the coaches, to the players, and then that trickles down to your partners, to the scorer's table, to the person that locks and unlocks your, your locker room, uh, the security guard that walks you in and out. Because those things and how you handle them can earn you the benefit of the doubt while you're on the court. And I always rely that and use that to the best of my ability. So uh, the pyramid approach on this, Paul, is, you know, we've got a recruitment retention problem in officiating, but even if those coffers were full, right, the state championship game can only have three officials uh, in, in, in basketball. There can only be seven on the field uh, for football. That pyramid approach is understanding that I need to be the best at the level I'm at I need to set realistic uh, expectations uh, and and determine if the goals that I set are achievable. Because if you're not careful from the outset, you'll set yourself up for failure. I love that. I love that piece. You, you know, you also spoke about things you're passionate about within officiating. You mentioned treatment of officials, fair pay, coordinators working together. Um, mitigating fees on officials and ending pay for play approach regarding dues and camps. Uh, we deal a lot with, you know, um, giving officials the tools and resources to, you know, not get abused by coaches, not be at, at just a punching bag, you know, in these games. And we see a lot of mistreatment. What, what are you seeing on your end and how do you want to impact that? Yeah, it's certainly true at all levels. Um, you know, I, I think we could all agree that the four major professional sports will always have their coffers full. But if, if it's a watered down selection below them, it's going to show up at the professional level. Um, uh, I, <laughs> I think this is a leadership issue, quite honestly. Um, officials want two things by and large, and this is from my perspective, I'm not speaking for anybody else, but officials want to be paid fairly and they want to be supported. And when neither of those things occurs, which is often the case, um, there's a real problem, but there's also a real problem if only one of those uh, things don't occur. And what I mean by that is if you perform as an official to the best of your ability and you are correct in uh, what you enforce, whether it's letter of the law, whether it's spirit and intent, and you're not supported, we're probably going to lose that official. So we shouldn't replace the official. We should replace the assigner 
which in my business is a curse word. I don't like the word assigner. I think assigners put names in, in spots. I like coordinators that are supervisors, that keep in mind crew dynamic, that understand what mentor-mentee means, that understands the different levels of play in, in, in deciding what somebody's ready for and what somebody's not. Um, that is the only sustainable model that gives us a chance uh, to get out of this recruitment retention crisis. And I want to be clear, recruitment and retention are two very different things. There's organizations I deal with, they get a new crop of officials every year. And just 12 months later, and I think a lot of the uh, surveys show us that 18 months later, a large percentage of them bow out. Um, and, and that's got many tentacles. So I think what we need to create, Paul, is high tide. You know, we need the coaches to act better. We need the administrators to play their role and understand that they can't be cheerleaders during the game. We need fans to provide some level of empathy. We need security um, to be provided for officials. We need officials that have a locker room that can be locked for their valuables. They need to be able to shower. They need a towel. They need uh, access to hydration. I mean, these aren't unreasonable things here. So for people to look around and question, why are we having this recruitment retention issue? It's hiding in plain sight. We have lost sight on how to treat people. And, uh, participating in um, an aggressive treatment of officials has been glamorized, unfortunately, um, you know, by social media. And uh, my, my sense is we need to hold the people accountable that participate in that type of conduct. And that's important. And, but that's a little too kind of repair, repent mode. I would rather go into kind of prepare, prevent mode Let's ensure up front everybody understands what their expectations are, what's allowed, what's not allowed. And I think that that's going to create high tide. So we do get a better product on the floor and uh, the officials are fairly paid and they're fully supported. And how do we create that understanding, you think, with the with the administrators, the leaders, the schools, the coaches? Well, it's an investment. They have to invest. And. You can't just throw money at a problem. And uh, I'm not really sure uh, if I send one of my officials to Bethel on Tuesday for $200. If I just say, hey, I got you a raise. You're now making 300 I didn't make him a better official by paying him more money. I may have checked the box on the uh, retention uh, <laughs> silo a little bit, which is great. But I think that, a, that there should be a significant investment. Again, it's a leadership issue. It starts at the top. These conference commissioners need to invest and understand the importance and impact of their coordinators. Hopefully their supervisors get rid of their assigners, right? Because we, at least from my perspective, we can acknowledge that assigners put name in slots, uh, oftentimes they're responsible for pay-for-play scams. Come to my camp or you won't be on my roster. I'm going to charge you dues that aren't justified. Supervisors don't have that mindset. Supervisors want to uh, plant the seed, cultivate, water, grow, trim, and see you fly. And I think if we can take, we've got 100 Division One, Two, and Three. Uh, intercollegiate commissioners. We've got 19 NAI commissioners. If we can get that group of 119 people to collectively buy in that they are responsible for the future of officiating by hiring the correct coordinator for their respective sport and their conference, that, is, that would be a great start. Um, things that when you're not held accountable, things go unchecked, we start coloring outside the lines, right? Now we're regressing. So I think that we should spend 
less time identifying the problem and more time providing solutions. And I'm not suggesting I have the answers. Uh, I'm suggesting that I've got an idea on what it could be, but it comes with no guarantees. But without giving it a shot, we have no chance. So that is one of the things that gets me out of bed in the morning is talking at nauseam on this topic, making people understand the difference between coordinators or uh, supervisors and assigners, and that there is two different types of coordinators and what the uh, what the flags are related uh, you know, to, to the assigners that oftentimes just have officials being stuck in the mud. Yeah, I like that you mentioned uh, coordinators working together. You know, in my experience with officiating, I think of so many um, times where I noticed coordinators at lack of cohesion towards one another, at odds, feuding, mm-hmm. talking trash about each other. One mm-hmm. coordinator will talk trash about the other coordinator to their community. And it's it's on all levels, whether it's high school, whether it's college. We know it happens locally and rec and AAU and it's probably because money is involved and money you know makes people make decisions for the wrong reasons so you know I love that we spoke about coordinators being on the same page because it trickles down from there and and you know they have an opportunity to be the leaders and kind of set the tone yeah Paul I mean I can go on and on about this and and I think you're completely correct uh we got to get the egos out of the way but my perspective is we've got to make sure that the people that are coordinators uh, are being held accountable by the people that brought them in that position. And if it's an outsourced position, there, there's a, there's a great example of what is not held accountable goes unchecked, right? If we just get organizations that write the check, Hey, assign my games and there's nothing in place, no checks and balances. We'd be foolish to think that 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 cycle would ever stop. Um, you know, I'm I'm involved in a pretty competitive world of of uh, as a coordinator. I have two small college conferences. Um, I go out of my way, and and I, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, and and uh, maybe I am, but I can say this about the other coordinators in my area too. We work together. You know, we represent our conferences. We want the best of what's around. That's for sure. But if we didn't work together, who gets put in the middle and who loses in this scenario? It's the officials. It's the officials that are receiving this information that we rely on to manage and run these 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 competitions. And I think people lose sight of that. So um, they also know these officials to get to division one basketball, right? Where, where the checks have commas in them. It's got to come through division two, three, NAIA, um, and in many times, uh, junior college. And again, I brought up hard work guarantees, nothing, but without it, you don't have a chance. That's true for these officials trying to make it through and navigate through the small college landscape, Paul. Um, and if you've got coordinators in fighting, it's going to be really tough for you to navigate that force, regardless of your talent, talent and ability. You know, one question we get a lot is when officials are like, um, you know, my coordinator wants me to call this play this way, but this other coordinator wants me to call it differently. What do you tell an official who, uh, you know, has that predicament, but also is relying on the rule book, right? And, and just kind of the, the, the one, one approach, one, one rule, one interpretation that they're learning on a national level. Yeah, I'm empathetic to them for sure. But again, it goes back to the accountability. Um, I know the Federation has a very clearly defined rule book. And I know the NCAA has a very clearly defined rule book. But within that, especially in basketball, there is a significant amount of subjectivity. So for one assigner to say, and I intentionally use the word assigner, if one assigner says, no, I want you to call it this way, and another assigner says, well, I don't care what he says, I want you to call it this way, 
right? Now we're back to the accountability piece. And part of that leadership and at the intercollegiate world, it certainly starts with the commissioner, that it's clearly conveyed we don't stray from the parameters of the rules book, that we must stay uh, and be able to color inside the lines as established by the rules committee, the oversight committee, the competition committee, and all the people that make a lot more money than I do. But what I'm telling you is when all those things are not clarified, when the expectations are not stated, the officials have no chance, no chance. And uh, now there's some nuance in here, too. There's letter of the law and then there's spirit and intent. There's art versus science, all these kind of cool little uh, things you can come up with that do explain how difficult officiating is. I, I, I watch these major league umpires. I, I cannot believe how accurate they are to the tune of what's the, what's the median 97%. But the second these guys miss a pitch, it's, it's on social media. Look how, how bad this ball was two and a half inches outside. Can you believe how horrible this umpire is? Well, that's coming to a theater near you in the in the intercollegiate space, and it's already there at the high levels, and it's certainly on the way at the Division two and three levels, and even some of the high level high school stuff that we're seeing in several different sports. You cannot make a mistake, and those unrealistic expectations will always be there. But if the messaging, Paul, is not clear from the top down, whew, we're going to have a tough road to hope. Well said. Anybody have any questions they'd like to uh, ask Bo? Feel free to put it through the chat or unmute at any time. We got Tony with a quick uh, hand raised there. So Tony wants to unmute and uh, ask Bo. Hey, Bo. Thanks for joining us. Um, I like your pyramid idea. Uh, one question I have with that, though, is, as you said, there can only be three officials on the floor for the state championship or you know, I don't know how some of the other states are structured, but, you know, there's regionals, sectionals, whatever. Being that sometimes that is subjective, how would you judge judge yourself as being, hey, I am a good official? You know, maybe I'm just getting passed for whatever reason. Um, you know, because like you said, there's only so many spots that can be picked. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, this is where things start, Tony, to get a little bit ugly, because let's just start with the elephant in the room. There's many times, Tony, that quite honestly, an official is just not good enough to, to, to work that last game or to work multiple last games. I, I don't want to pretend that if you do this, then this will happen. That's not reality in our business. And that is that pyramid approach. The one thing I've noticed in officiating um, that is close to as a guarantee as you can get is the cream does rise to the top. Now you need luck, but you also need patience. You need a significant amount of ability you need to cultivate and hone. You need a mentor because there's nobody that's ever had anything really good in their life happen without help. But the little bit of influence that I may have on some people's career, again, I may help get them there. But they're not going to keep them there because Bo said it just doesn't happen. Um. There's there's really not any one individual that has that sort of uh, sustained influence um, to, to put people in those positions. And because of that, the cream rises to the top. Now, hard work guarantees nothing, man. That's the bad thing here. And that's why we, we try and talk people into having realistic expectations. I've had to have some very difficult conversations with people uh tony on this topic and we will have discussions that hey i know you want to get to the division one level and i know i can help you in some ways achieve that but i don't think you're good enough 
And I think that you would be wasting your time uh, and, and, and your money to chase this. Now, that's my opinion. Uh, I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again, but that is my duty as a coordinator. And in this case, uh, uh, a leader of officials that is looking out uh, for the best interest of my officials, because I don't want to see them waste their time and their money, the two, two very valuable commodities. Uh, I had an email exchange this past week with somebody asking for an update. How's your summer going? What camps are you going to? Keep me updated. He sent me an email, and he's going to six camps, spending upwards of about $16,000 when you factor in the travel. And, and this, this gentleman doesn't have a pot to pee in. And, and I picked up the phone right away. And we had a very long conversation about setting realistic uh, expectations. Now, if you want to go around and hang out with some big time intercollegiate officials, one of the camps was in professional in nature, and you want to check those boxes, that's great. But be careful of the outcome you're looking for. So that's, that's, that's the downside uh, of the conversation, Tony. A couple additional thoughts. I'll just tell you that you are judged off the court just as much as you are on the court. You need to be fully and uh, totally um, ensure that you align yourselves with good people. Uh, you need to be genuine in your interactions uh, in, a, in a sustainable approach and, and understand the dynamic of, of uh, and doing it the right way of how you get opportunities. And if you get in enough of those opportunities and you have perceived success, the cream will rise to the top. But the odds of getting to that last game are statistically very, very poor for any one individual official just because of the nature and the math of it. Um, the biggest thing people do these days, this generation of official, is they're not patient. And that is, when I was coming up, was like a cuss word. People would say, be patient. I'd go, oh, geez, here we go again with the be patient thing. Little did I know, I <laughs> would be saying that more than it was said to me. But even being patient doesn't guarantee it. That's why you got to have the friend group. you got to have the social piece. You, 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 you've got to really have that collaboration and that, that yearning to teach, uh, I'm sorry, to absorb information, to try new things, two ears, one mouth. Because if you're looking at the APEC, you're, you're, you're in trouble. Bo, I want to ask you about an age cap for officiating. Do you think there's an, an age cap to where someone can get hired? Uh, into the collegiate level? Uh, I don't. Um, I think, you know, people of a certain age have to be realistic. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think everybody, uh, maybe on this call, but certainly in my brain, right, people turn to like a Dick Bavetta. Well, he's a unicorn. I mean, what the, what that guy was able to do for so long. But guess what? He put himself in that position. Uh, to be able to, I think he ran faster than Charles Barkley. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look at the footage from the uh, All-Star game several years ago. But um, the, the guys like that that can do it into their 80s, um, they just don't exist that much. But to suggest that there's an age cap, look, I, I talk about officials being like airline pilots. When I get on that plane and I look to the left, and I'm I do it every time. I'm peering into that cockpit. I like to see some gray hair. I do. I like that experience. It makes me be able to fall asleep. It makes me uh, able to be comfortable and not get antsy every time the plane hits a little bump or two because I see that gray hair. When I see two Gen Zers up front there, right on their iPhone, I get a little nervous. I want some gray hair up there. I feel that way about officiating, too. There is a place 
for veteran leadership on the court. And um, to suggest an age cap to me uh, seems a bit silly. I think uh, there's reasonable minimums that um, should be attained. Um, and if that's tied to age, so be it. But I think it, it, it should be more physical limitations than age limitations. I agree with you. And I'm, I'm seeing it a change for the better you know uh, i get a lot of officials that that say that to me that say oh i'm, I'm getting too old and then they're in their 30s or low 40s oh, i don't know if i should try for college i'm 47 <laughs> i can't get hired i'm like no it's it's changing like we have an official in our community um from texas who just got hired he's 50 you know he just got hired into uh ncaa men's um so i just think if you're good enough then you'll get hired people can't can um hold you back for your age anymore i don't i'm not really don't really think that that's the right thing to do so yeah i would say if you're if you're on the fence about it and you're out there listening whether you should go and if, if that's something you really inspire to do is to work college then give it your best shot um we have a another question from austin who was having problems muting unmuting uh so he said um when, when watching film, in your opinion, what would you say is the number one thing officials should focus on improving? Yeah, again, basketball is is just this mess of all the subjectivity, but uh, we can't, you know, ignore what the obvious number one is in my mind, and it's judgment. Um, we're paid for our judgment, for sure. Now, I always say, I call it my 1B talk. It's It's so important. It's not number two. It's 1B, and that's the ability to communicate. But when, you know, when you start talking, when we think about college, right, we talk about 100, 200, 300, 400 level classes. I think teaching, officiating is very similar. So, Austin, at the 100 level, right, it's judgment. Did I get the block charge right? Did I get the out-of-bounds play right? That, that's great. Now we start, you know, we, we're into our sophomore year, and now our focus becomes – um about consistency and i know he called it a block charge here but she called it a, a you know a block down here uh is that same place same way was it same or similar did we miss it and now we have to be consistent and now we missed it again that that we start to get into a higher level thinking um so now we're a junior right now we're thinking about you know, dead ball officiating. What What is my body doing? Are my hands in my pockets? What, how am I being perceived? Do I appear to be athletic? Um, do people give me the benefit of the doubt because I look the part? So some people might say, well, it doesn't matter how you look. It should just be as a net result of your calls. I don't disagree with you, but if you want to be a martyr, go ahead because that's not the way it works people earn the benefit of the doubt based on how they engage how they look um in terms of are they in position um are are they um athletic those things do help you earn the benefit of the doubt that's higher level thinking 400 levels the communication piece and that's that's what makes or breaks people often can you participate in conflict resolution for two hours during the course of a game to keep yourself and your partners out of the soup, right? Can we get this crowd and these coaches to talk about uh, uh, the game and not the officials? And we live in a society, very soft society today as compared to a generation ago, and that that's officially me sounding like an old old person and i'm a, I've, I've embraced that but what i'm telling you is people are looking for a scapegoat and really the officials are a great place to start and stop right that's we see that all the time um in many sports on tv and certainly on social media so i would tell you austin that that the answer to that question is start with the obvious, right, judgment, and then let it evolve from there into the differentiators of what makes you better than your peers that may or may not be getting better games than you or what you perceive as better games. And 
make it almost difficult for your coordinator not to put you in certain situations. Judgment is the most important thing. Differentiating between illegal and incidental contact is an impossible task, a fool's errand, and I would start there. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, one more question for you, Bo. Uh, are you comfortable with me using any of that in a written article quoting you? Who was that, Austin? That said that. Are, are yeah, that's me. Yep. Just, mm -hmm. Yep. Just shoot what. Uh, just shoot me an email with the details on where it's going, uh, just so I can keep an eye out for it. And if you don't mind, I'll uh, sign off on it if you're good with that, Austin. Yeah. Sure thing. Austin is helping uh, write a new um, article series that we have every Sunday called the Sunday Swish. So I take it he's uh, trying to get some quotes for that article. So, oh, is that a uh, is that uh, a Crown Refs initiative? That's a Crown Refs new uh, publication. All right. Well, see, you you buried the lead. It if, as long as it goes through Paul, it's okay of course, with me. Of course, so of there course. you go, Austin. <laughs> So, Bo, you're still a, a coordinator. You have some camps coming up this summer. What are some of the things you're looking for uh, with with your new hires and who you're looking to put on your roster? Yeah, I run one camp a year. It's this weekend. Um, we try to provide significant value. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of people run camps around the summer and I just shake my head, right? It's a cash cow and it's painfully unfortunate. Um, so we make sure we get uh, very qualified people to uh, be clinicians on our on our courts, and um, we'll just do a Saturday, Sunday, six courts. I cap my camp at um, 72 people, and, um, you know, my wife maybe thinks I'm a little crazy that, you know, I could probably run four or five of these a year, but I got a real hard time with um, camps in general. And I don't have the energy to provide the uh, effort it takes to run a successful camp. So what I'm looking for is a constant rotation of the bottom 15% um, of my staff. And, and I use RefQuest a lot to determine who's getting better off the court. We get statistical data on videos they've uploaded, on comments. Uh, from a quantity standpoint, how much are they engaging? Uh, who who watched videos? Who didn't? And I use that as one of the variables to determine uh, who I retain and who I don't. And I am very much in the prepare and prevent mode. So when I make those phone calls about no longer being on staff, uh, I I back it up with hey. I'm not really sure that, you know, you're going to be in the race here and I'm just going to do you a favor and we're, you can go look somewhere else. And I have hired sophomores in college to be on my intercollegiate staff. And one in particular that comes to mind right now, <laughs> he's working a, a full division one schedule now, just six years later, an absolute all-star. So, yeah, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back for that. But I've also taken a chance on several other people that perform well at camp but couldn't handle the pressure associated with an intercollegiate contest. And, um, again, cream rises to the top, pyramid gets smaller at the top, and I swing and miss as a coordinator just like these officials swing and miss sometimes during their games. So uh, I, I take these camps very serious. Um, I'm actually at the games. There's a new concept. People that run camps actually attend the camp, watch the officials, engage with the officials, find out where they're from, what their family life is like. These are the people that are representing me when I put them on an assignment. And I want to know a lot about them. I vet them. I call references. And I am slow to hire and quick to fire when it comes to a roster a very small one on behalf of my 24 institutions and two conferences. So we're going to go to work big time this weekend. We provide a, a lot of resources for them to get better. And um, it's uh, it, it's a fun camp we have here in the Midwest. And it starts on a Friday night with um, a guest speaker who 
um, is very important. I always try and bring a high level person in and then um, we set up a two hour social because I want everybody to get to know each other because I met my closest friends in a social setting prior to a camp. And it makes me feel like I'm giving back when I do that for these guys. So it's, uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. And real quick, what would you say to the official who's trying out for their first camp? I know there's a lot of nerves. There's a lot of anxiety. Uh, what would you tell that first official to, you know, not be nervous and perform at their best for their first camp? Yeah, uh, we've got several uh, officials in that situation uh, this weekend. One, by the way, is a junior in high school to be the youngest one um, <laughs> that's ever come to my camp. And I got an email from his dad that said, hey, he can't come on Saturday. He plays on the baseball team and uh, their, their high school game got rescheduled. And that was kind of a reality check. But what I would say to, to that official and anybody in this situation is, you're you're going to make mistakes. Uh, that is for sure. But I'd rather you make them in May, June, July, and August than November through February. And that's why you're here. And, um, you know, say what you want about coaches and, and fans at these summer events. By and large, when they see the numbers on the backs and when they see clinicians on the court trying to help people, 98% of the coaches and the fans – improve their behavior because of that it's the two percent of the knuckleheads that need to walk out with iron on their wrist for how they engage and how they treat officials and that's true for the coaches too um that we have real problems at times um with conduct um of these coaches and of these fans and so what i require um, is is security present at all the games that we officiate, or we just will take our camp somewhere else. Again, accountability. We're holding the, the uh, camp operator accountable. So I want to protect that group, Paul. I want to protect those people and say, hey, you're going to get yelled at. You're going to get screamed at. But I won't let it get out of hand. That's my responsibility to ensure and we find out real quick if, um, if, if they've got a knack for being able to handle that kind of pressure. But you're not going to have a great first showing. It's just so difficult because the intercollegiate game is so much different uh, than certainly youth sports or even the high school level. Um, and, and you really have no chance um, – for amazing things to happen you just gotta really keep your eyes on how people deal with adverse situations and and that's something i'm you know empathetic to for sure well boy i really appreciate your time thank you for sharing your knowledge with us your expertise uh really excited for what you got going on with RefQuest. is there anything else you want to say to the audience of uh dedicated officials that are listening in now Oh, yeah. Oh, I love the question. Um, you know, my approach to officiating is a bit dangerous where it was a, an all-in nature. I went all-in on it. I was dedicated to it. It motivated me. It, I was an athlete in college. I was a baseball player. And when that ended for me, there was a massive competitive void that was created. And officiating filled that hole. It also helped me meet my wife. Now we have two beautiful kids. I ended up having a really good career. Uh, and every one of my friends is from that officiating space. The tentacles, the reach, the support system that can be obtained from the officiating world can't be duplicated. It just can't. Maybe outside of going to the military. Right? Um, I just... I just don't see a scenario where participating in a craft like this can have such positive uh, consequences. There are pitfalls along the way for sure, but most of those um, are um, self-inflicted. So that's why you have to watch out for the landmines. But it, 
I'm all in on it. I still am. I'm starting a new chapter. And I would encourage everybody that listen to this podcast to go all in on officiating. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If our podcast has brought you any value in the past, then we would love if you considered joining our mentor program and private community for officials. You can go to patreon.com backslash crown to get started today.